So when, when Kyle and I first got married, we were, we were super, super poor, um, as a lot of newlyweds are. Uh, we, were, we were young in ministry. I was in seminary. We were just, we were poor. It had a pickup truck that um, was coming up for needing to go through the state inspection. I don't know how you do it here in North Carolina um, yet. We haven't got to that just yet. But, you know, every year you had to go take it to a shop, and they would do kind of a big inspection of it and give you a sticker. You'd pay for that sticker, and it'd be good for the next year. Right before I came up to that state inspection and needed to take it in, um, had a little light come on in my vehicle, the service engine light. Don't you hate that light? So it came on, and I thought, man, I, I got to get it in. So I took it in to get an inspection, and when they were going through the inspection, they turned the car on, the light came up, and said, sir, we got a problem. What was the problem? Well, we cannot issue you a state inspection with that light on. Well, I said, well, why don't you fix it and, and then take care of it? He goes, no, you need to go fi- get it fixed elsewhere. We don't do that here. We just do state inspections. So I was like, man. So went home and you know, like I said, we report. So I started tinkering with it. I started trying to figure out what it was. And I don't know a whole lot about cars. And so I just started unplugging stuff. Um, unplugging this, you know, check my windshield wiper fluid, knew how to do that. Uh, it did all this stuff. Well, one of the things I did in unplugging this was I unplugged the battery, plugged the battery back on, turned the car on a little bit later. Guess what was gone? Service engine light. Guess what I did the very next hour? I took it back to the state inspection center. I said, I got it fixed. We're good to go. And uh, they took it through, issued me the state inspection, and we're good to go. Uh, so drive it around for a few days, and the light comes back on. Man, this light. So guess what I did? Popped the hood, unplugged the battery, put the, <laughs> whatever you call them, back on, turned it back on, light's gone. And it kind of did this process for some while. Every time it needed it, I would give the car a little help, unplug it, let it go through the system again, and, and we're good. All that was good until one day I got in the car, turned it on, and it would not turn over. There was something wrong with the car. See, I was always giving it help, but apparently I wasn't giving it what it needed. You go home this afternoon and discover that you have a leak in your roof. Um, Listen, a, a pot, a bucket will help. But a pot and a bucket are not going to fix what you really need to have fixed. If you're hungry and starving and have no way of getting food, a stick of gum will help you a little bit. I mean, it'll, it'll freshen up your breath. It'll give you just a couple of calories. But ultimately, that's not what you need. It'll help, but it's not what you need. If your marriage is is falling to pieces, going through difficulty, and you're not really sure where this is going to go. A date night with your spouse will help, but ultimately that's that's not what you need. You need a lot more than that. If you're told you have cancer, cancer is a beast. It is painful. Ibuprofen will help alleviate some of the pain that you're dealing with, but ultimately that is not what you need to heal your body. This morning I want to draw your attention to a miracle. It's one of my 
most favorite miracles of Jesus. It's one of his more popular miracles. If you grew up in church, this is one of the miracles that you learned early on in vacation Bible school or Sunday school or something like that. Jesus is introduced to a man through some friends of that man. And Jesus, what we see in this story, doesn't just give the man the help he wants, but ultimately he gives the man what he needs. Draw your attention, if you would, to Mark chapter 2 this morning. Mark chapter 2, the second gospel of the New Testament. Mark chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. When Jesus heals the paralytic, stand in honor of God's word, if you would, and notice verse 1 as we jump right into this story. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. They came, bringing him to him, a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Jesus saw their faith and he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you why do you question these things in your heart? Which is which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we, we never saw anything like this. You can be seated this morning. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ came to give people not just what they want, but what you and I really need. This miracle shows a man that wanted to be healed, friends that wanted to see him healed and did something about it. And it shows us a Savior that didn't just give what was wanted that day, but more importantly, gave what was needed. Our Savior, yes, he helps. Yes, he touches every aspect of our lives. Yes, he can help us through any sort of thing. The miracles of Jesus show that Jesus loves putting his hands in our problems, in our messes, and giving us the help that we need. But more importantly, they show us that our Savior doesn't just give us what we need. Jesus doesn't just give us what we want, rather. He gives us what we ultimately and really need. As we look at this passage this morning. As we look at this story, I want to draw attention this morning to some of the things that Jesus addresses that this guy needs. As we look at the needs of this guy and the things that Jesus offers him, how he goes beyond just helping the man and giving the man something that he would want and giving the people something he would want, we see Jesus addressing this man's deepest needs. 
But it's not just Jesus that addressed this man's deepest needs. One of the cool things about this story, one of the highlights of this story, is that this man was brought by friends. I mean, he's paralyzed. Obviously, he couldn't get there on his own. He couldn't crawl there on his own. He, he couldn't take a taxi or bus to get there. On, this man is completely helpless. Were it not for these four guys that took a risk and did something for this man, this man would have never been able to experience the things that he experienced that day in that house with Jesus. We would have never had the incredible things that took place. And at the end of the story, no one would have ever walked away amazed saying, I've never seen anything like this before had it not been done with these four friends. I want to be very pointed this morning because this, this message, these needs and what Jesus addresses with this man have a lot to do with you and I. Because we are the body of Christ. We're the church. And the things that Jesus did that day, and the things that Jesus did through his ministry, listen, he expects us to carry that on. He expects us to carry on the gospel message. He expects us to carry on the example that that he set out and the things that he did. He expects us to carry upon his heart and his attitude and the way that he looked at and met with people and help people, and ultimately met their deepest need. We need to see people like Jesus saw people. And Jesus saw people for what they need, not just what they want, or rather what we want to give them. Listen, people need friends. Not just a friendly church. There, there are a lot of people, I would imagine, in this guy's life that were friendly to him. I say, how do you know that? Well, I know that because this man was a man. He'd been paralyzed all his life. There's no possible way that this man would have survived as long as he had survived in the condition that he was in had it not been for people being friendly to him, helping him, providing for him, doing things for this guy. He couldn't do anything for himself. I imagine that the scene would have been something, he'd probably been taking care of his, by his family for a long time, and when they couldn't take care of him any longer, he had probably gotten to the place and point where someone was friendly enough to, to carry him out and put him on the street quarters so that at least he could beg there. And the world's friendly enough, and people are friendly enough, and there were good religious people that were friendly enough that would go by and provide him with something, give him a hamburger, or, you know, give him some fries, or uh, give him some money, and do things for him, pick him up, and carry him here, and carry him there, and so forth. So there's lots of, lots of friendly people in this guy's life. But these four men did something no one had done for him yet. These friends went to the extreme. These friends went beyond what everyone else in this guy's life had done. Jesus was at home. I don't know if this was in the home of Jesus where he was raised or if this was a home in Jesus' hometown, but Jesus was there. It was made known that he was doing his work. He was preaching the gospel. He was teaching the word. And when he did that, more, more often than not, people were healed. So some of that stuff was happening that day. So there was a crowd gathering around him. These guys heard about that. The guy Jesus, the healer, the guy that helps people is here. Let's do something for our friend. Let's take him to Jesus 
Because maybe Jesus can heal him and fix his problem. We, we've been doing stuff for him all his life. But that day, these men became friends. They come to the house. It's packed out. I mean, there's, it tells us there's, there's no room for anybody to even get in the door. That's how full this is. I mean, this is a party of parties. Everyone's crowded around Jesus, and there's no possible way to get in. And so the beautiful part of the story, the cool part of the story that you've probably seen acted out before or described or, or illustrated in some way, shape, or form, is these guys decide, hey, we're getting them in. And if we can't go through the front door, if we can't go through the back door, if we can't come through the windows, let's get up on the roof. And these guys go up on the roof with their friend. This guy probably had not ever been on a roof. And here's this paralyzed man being taken up on a roof. And these four friends begin to rip the roof open. They begin to take the tiles off or pull the straw back and begin to destroy, listen, vandalize this person's house. Nowhere in this passage of Scripture does it say they were granted permission to do so first. No, they got up there and they just started hacking away with hammers and crowbars and pulling back this roof. Can you imagine if you were the owner of that house? Like, just think, you go home this afternoon and you're watching the football game. You've eaten dinner, you've taken a nap, and all of a sudden you hear something on your roof. You hear it first, no big deal. You hear it again, and you're like, what's going on up there? You go outside, there's somebody up on your roof, and he's got a hammer and a crowbar, and he's just going at your roof. What's the first thing you're going to do? You're probably going to say, hey, what are you doing? Hey, get down. They say, no, we got to get in. Okay, well, let me call the police here. We'll get this taken care of. And then when the police show up, arrest the guy, because that is illegal to open and break someone's roof open. Then you're going to find a way to fix it, which is one of the reasons why you have insurance, because you're not going to pay for that. You're going to make the insurance company pay for the person that broke your roof unless that person won't do them themselves. Who's going to pay for this? These guys did something that was not appropriate. They did something that was not necessarily um, probably like too much. These guys could have gotten in trouble for what they did. And then they were going to have to pay for the problem that they caused. How extreme, how desperate, how audacious these men were willing to be, how far they were willing to go to get their friend to the one he needed, to get their friend the help that he needed the most, to get him to Jesus. Do you not see this? Do you not recognize what's happening here? These men are willing to do anything. These men are willing to, to, to put their reputation on their line, put their life on the line, possibly go to jail, put their money on the line. They're willing to go to the utmost extreme to get their friend to Jesus. Many people had been friendly. But these men were friends. People need friends. Not just a friendly church. Now listen, I, I, I think there are many, many, and I'm certain that this is one of them. Our church is one of friendly churches. Like, we want to be friendly. Nobody wants to be an unfriendly church, right? Like, I imagine you didn't spit on anybody when they came in this morning. You did? 
Like, really, did you do that? No, no, you greeted them, you said hi to them, you smiled at them, you were friendly to them, you shook their hand. Like, we want to be friendly. But there is a difference between being a friendly church and, and really being friends. If you see, a friendly church just knows faces. You know the same faces, you know where they sit, you recognize them. But you know, friends know more than faces and are more than acquaintance. Friends know their life. They know their story. Friends offer sympathy. Friendly churches offer sympathy. Hey, we care about you. We're so sorry you're going through what you're going through. I, I hate to hear that's happening, but real friends offer solutions. Hey, here's something that can fix that and let me help fix that. Friendly churches, they pat people on the back. Man, brother, I'm, I'm so sorry. It's all going to be okay. It's, it's all going to be all right. You're going to be okay. Man, we really, we're praying for you. We care about you. Man, keep coming. It's, it'll all work out. But, but real friends, they pick people up and meet them in their darkest moments. Ultimately, friendly churches in this country and this state and this city is full of friendly churches with a smile on our faces, with someone greeting them at the door, but in reality, we're not friends. Ultimately, when you're just a friendly church, just kind and cordial and sympathetic, and you know what you're ultimately doing? Ignoring people. You ever ask somebody at church, how you doing? What is the standard Baptist answer to the question, how you doing today? What is it? Fine. And you know what? When someone doesn't give the standard answer, you know what you think to yourself? I, I know I think this. Man, I'm sorry I asked that question. Like when you ask someone how they're doing, and then they really tell you how they're doing. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're at church. You're like, you're not supposed to say that. You're just supposed to say fine. Like, it was friendly of you to ask. But in reality, listen, what people need are friends, not just a friendly church. Friends, the kind of people that these men were, the kind of people that I believe Jesus wants his church to be, have the attitude that these men have, whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. We will go to extremes. We will be audacious. If we have to rip things up, if we have to tear things up, if we have to make people feel uncomfortable, we're going to do whatever it takes to get the lost, to get the dying, to get the hurting to Jesus Christ because he has what they need. The audacity to rip off the roof. The audacity to break it to pieces. The audacity to vandalize this person's home. Now, I'm not saying you should go do that. I'm saying we should be audacious. Where is our audacity, church? Where is our willingness to whatever it takes? Nothing's off the table. We'll do, we'll change, we'll be what we need to do, change and be to get people to Jesus. Yet, however, our attitude is not that way. No, our attitude and the attitude of many believers and many people that fill our pews and many churches today is not the attitude of we'll do whatever it takes. It's the attitude, oh, I'm going to throw a fit if you change the color of the carpet. Our attitude is, hey, whoa, 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 time out. That's not the music I like. 
Lights? You're going to change the lights? You're going to move our room? You're going to make, you're going to... Listen, people need friends, not friendly church. And these men were willing to do what it took to get their friend, the only one, to the only one that could ultimately help him, the audacity to be willing to be uncomfortable, the audacity to put their lives upon the line, their money on the line, and the audacity to bring this man through a crowd and make sure he got to Jesus Christ. People need friends, not just a friendly church. So the man is brought to Jesus. Jesus is brought, this guy's brought down there. What, what an astounding thing. I mean, first of all, the room is so full. So obviously somebody had to get pushed out the door in order for this guy to get there. And there's a sermon and all that, pushing people out the door so that we can people, get people that really need to be in here. We won't go there this morning. You're not picking up what I'm saying. So the crowd expands, this guy's dropped down, and, and Jesus sees this guy. He's brought before him, and, uh, and then notice verse 5. And Jesus, the, the, and when, they, they, when Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? Not, not the man's faith, but the friend's faith. When he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, now before we get to that point, I want to back up just a little bit. This guy needed help. I mean, he was paralyzed. That's obvious. This, this guy needed help. His friends went to the extreme to get this guy help. He needed help. Why did they take him to Jesus? Because he had a reputation for helping people. Like he was already known. Even in Mark chapter 2, the beginning of his ministry, from the very get-go, people knew Jesus was a help dealer. That if they needed help, they could go to Jesus. In fact, as the story expands, as we continue to walk through the Gospels, you see that everywhere Jesus goes, people are getting help. They're bringing their demon-possessed kids. They're bringing their problems. They're bringing their issues. They're coming to Jesus so that crowds are so surrounding themselves. And everywhere Jesus goes, there's like a crowd there. Why? Because he was a help dealer. Because he helped people with the problems that they had. They came to him for that. In fact, some, we're going to look at a story in a few weeks that is so crowded around Jesus. Like there's so many people pressing in upon him. That people are just touching him so that they can be helped and healed. He had a reputation for helping and healing people. And listen, church, if that was the reputation of our head, Jesus Christ, our Savior, shouldn't that be the reputation of us? that we too have a reputation for helping people so to the point that people ought to come to our door like they came to the roof that day. They ought to treat our doors like they are the doors of an emergency room of a hospital. The church is a hospital for sick sinners who are dying and desperately need help. But you look at churches today and maybe we could be a little honest. This room's not full. There's a lot more room for other people. Nobody's having to break down our roof right now. You 
See, the problem today is that many churches see themselves as more of a hotel or a club for the saved. Jesus helped people. The church should too. The church should be a place where drug addicts ought to come to get cleaned up. The church ought to be a place where a broken family and a broken marriage can come and find renewal and restoration. The church ought to be a place where the financially bound come and are guided to freedom. A place where the brokenhearted can come to be encouraged. A place where the weak come to find strength. A place where the washed up get cleaned up. Where the torn up get put up. Where the stood up get raised up. And the beat up get lumped up. Jesus was known for that. Why aren't we? Why aren't people, his people, known for the same thing? If people aren't coming to us for help, then listen, if people are not coming to you for help, you need to understand something. Let me be very frank with you. If people are not coming to you for help or coming to us for help, then you and I are not known for what Jesus was known for. Our reputation doesn't match his. If we don't constantly have the broken, the wounded, the sick, the worn out, the weary coming to our doors and finding help from us, then listen, we are not a Jesus church. We may believe in Jesus. We may proclaim in Jesus. We may believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. But if we don't have the reputation that Jesus had because we're helping people and loving people and seeing people the way that Jesus loved them, helped them, and saw them, we are not a Jesus church. In my my years of pastoring, I can't tell you how many people I've had come up to me you know, we have people come visit our church, and sometimes their reputation precedes them. And there's been many times over, over the years that I've had people come to me and say, hey, hey Brother Robert, Pastor, Pastor Robert, did you see who was here today? I said, yeah, I noticed they, they, I haven't seen that person before. Well, 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 you know who they are. Yeah, you, you, you there's a little there's a little thing there about that person. You just, just, just know, I just wanted you to know that, I just want to know this person has, has, they've been in jail. They've been arrested. They're homeless. Um, he had an affair. Um, they have, they have some, they have some problems with their kids. Um, they, uh, he got, he got fired the other day. Um, not the nicest guy. So I've seen him at the basketball game, the kids' basketball games, and he's, yeah, you don't want to sit next to him. Just, just want you to know that that person's got some problems. Which is why they need to be here. Where have we gotten off? That unless you look a certain way, act a certain way, clean certain things up, 
dress a particular way, that you're welcome, that you're acceptable. Come down to our level. That's not the way that Jesus dealt with people. No, 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 no. In fact, he was called on it several times. In fact, this morning in my quiet time with the Lord, I was reading a story about Jesus being invited to a Pharisee's home, which I had forgotten Jesus was invited to. They hated him so much, but there was a Pharisee that invited Jesus to his home. And while Jesus was at the home, comes in a woman. And the, the woman is just known as a woman with great sin. And she comes in there, and she's pouring oil on Jesus, kissing his feet, anointing his heads with oil. And the Pharisee's like, what is going on here? Why are you letting—do you know what this woman has done? And Jesus is like, yeah. Why she's here? Because I can help her. So Jesus was known as a helper. He, he helped people. I love what—I love what— Leonard Ravenhill said, the early church was married to poverty, prisons, and persecution. But today the church is married to prosperity, personality, and popularity. But I want you to understand something here. Because Jesus goes on. The man's brought, but Jesus shows everyone there that day, and he shows us as well. That help is not all people need. That the need for help is a symptom of a greater need. That what Jesus does to this man shows where Jesus' deepest priorities are. It was the help that got the man to Jesus. But when the man was with Jesus, Jesus did not just give him help. He gave the man what he needed most. And so the man's brought before him. He sees the faith. And Jesus, Jesus says in verse 5, Son, your sins are forgiven. Not what everybody was expecting to hear, by the way. I can imagine the disciples at this moment, because they probably already experienced Jesus kind of killing a party already a few times. This is a party killer line. Not what they were expecting. I can imagine the disciples were like, oh, no. Here we go again. Peter, uh, go get the truck ready because we got to get out of here. We are, they're fixing to kick us out. Remember when this happened not long ago? Like, why did you, we were having a great time. We were healing people. There were a lot of people. And then you go off and say that, Jesus. And we certainly see that it aroused some people, that it certainly wasn't expecting what they expected. It tells us in verse 6, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why, why does this man speak like this? What is this? This is blaspheming. Who can forgive God sins but God alone? And immediately it says Jesus perceiving in his heart, because he didn't need to hear it say it. He knew what their attitude was. He knew what their heart was. He could read it without hearing it. They questioned themselves. And then he said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or rise, take up your bed, and walk? It's a rhetorical question, but let's think about it for a minute. Which is easier to say? Jesus doesn't necessarily answer that question outright. Which is easier to say? Rise, pick up your bed, and walk, or your sins are forgiven. Now, from my perspective, all, 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 all my life, as I heard this story, I've always thought, well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. I mean, anybody can say that, right? I, I can say that. Your sins are forgiven. There's a lot of priests around the world that say that. Your sins are forgiven. We can, we can say that to each other, but, but I... 
I, I have no power, no authority to say, rise, pick up your bed and walk. But I want you to think about this for a minute. There's a lot of very similar things that today we can say. There were things just, just not 10 years ago that were terminal when a person had them and faced them. But now we can say, sit up, take this pill, drink it with a cup of water, and you'll be healed. I think that there will probably be a day as medicine advances, at doctors, as doctors get smarter and wiser and more skillful, as technology moves on, that there very well could be a day where we look at a paralytic and can say, rise. We've taken you through physical therapy. We've done certain surgeries. We've done certain things. Now you can pick up your bed and walk. But none of us have the authority nor the ability to really forgive a person of their sins. Only God can do that. Amen. And so what Jesus is doing that day is he's declaring and saying something that only God can do, which is why they accuse him of blasphemy, because what he's saying is, I am God, and I can give this man something this world could never give him. I can give this man something his mama couldn't do, give him, his religion couldn't give him, his good works couldn't give him. He could never get this, but here it is. Your sins are forgiven. You are now righteous. You are now whole. You are now holy. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus Jesus doesn't just give this man what he wants and help. He gives this man what only he can give him. Amen. And I love how he finishes it. And just in case you don't believe it, hey, buddy, get up. Get that bed out of here and go home. And he does. You see, listen, people need friends, not just a friendly church. But listen, you need to also understand people need friends change, not just help. See, Jesus helps and Jesus calls us to help. But the help is only a symptom of a greater problem, a need. And that need is what Jesus really gets you. And I want you to understand this because you may be on this journey right now. Oftentimes, the help that we want and the help that we need gets us to getting far more than we ever thought we needed. Amen. Some of you need to get that this morning. It could very well be that the predicament and circumstance and situation where you need help is all there to bring you to a place and point for God to give you what you really need. This man had not been paralyzed. He would not have been there that day. And likely would have never gotten forgiveness of his sins. See, some of you think that what you need is if you could just have a little bit more money, then it would fix all your problems. God, help me with my money. Give me just a little bit more. Some of you think that if you could just get a promotion, it would, everything would work out. Everything would be fine. Some of you think if you could just, if you could just get through this certain circumstance and this certain thing, then, then it would all just work together. If you could just get, 
that breakthrough you've been waiting for, then everything would be fine. Or if the bills would just go away. Or if we could find the right doctor and the right medicine. See, healing is what you want. Help is what you want. But ultimately, change is what you need. And it could be that your desperation for help is going to bring you to the bottom of the barrel, the bottom of the pit, to where you realize that it's not just help you need, it's change. That the true healing and the true help, the true change that only Jesus offers is forgiveness from Jesus. Jesus does what he always does here. The need for help got him to Jesus, but Jesus always gives way more than help gives what we need. He changes a life. Not just for the rest of the life, but forever. Last thing I want you to see, and I'm going to let you go home. People need amazement, not just entertainment. I mean, what a fascinating sight that day. I mean, think about it. This is something that they've never seen before. In fact, they declare that, they say that. We've never seen anything like this before. But it tells us that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we, we never saw anything like this before. These people were astonished. They'd seen some other miracles, but they'd never seen a big one like this one. They never could have imagined. In fact, there was probably a sense of like, oh no, what's going to happen here? Like, let me bring in some small issues. I mean, Jesus healed this person with a common cold. Uh, Jesus made this kid that was acting crazy because he's demon-possessed better. Um, Jesus, wow, he made this blind person see. And then they bring him a paralytic. Oh, whoa, how, how big is he? How good is he? And Jesus does it, and they leave with amazement and wonder, glorifying God. Listen, people need amazement, not just entertainment. Now, I want you to understand something. There's nothing wrong with entertainment. I mean, we all like to be entertained. And I, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with entertainment in the church, giving people what they want, giving something that is appealing to them. We say, not, not our church. We're not about entertainment. Oh, yes, we are. There was probably a day in time at First Baptist Charlotte that there were no air conditioners in the building. Not this building, but in the history of Charlotte, First Baptist Charlotte, there was a day that were no AC units. Why? Because there was no such thing as an AC unit. But then there came a time where people started making those things, and they started coming into buildings, they started coming into houses. And at some point in time, someone said, you know what, that would really be nice and comfortable to have in the church. And whoever made that decision, and whatever business meeting that was at, to put an AC unit at First Baptist Charlotte, praise God for it. There was a day and time that probably these pews didn't have, maybe these pews have always had it, but I bet there was a day and time that these pews didn't have cushions on them. I mean, I think we can all say we've benefited from the cushions. We enjoy the cushions. The cushions are a good thing. And I mean, we, 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 we do certain things. I mean, our, there's, there's so many different styles of music. There's so many different settings and themes and different sort of things. And, and, and we do the best we can as a church, as other churches do, to give people what is appealing, what they like. Not, not just for entertainment factor, but we want to be appealing and appeasing to people. So churches do that, and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that at all. 
It's just that we're not really in the entertainment business. Like, the truth of the matter is we cannot keep up. Because the entertainment business is a business run by the world. Overseen by the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan. It appeals to the flesh, which is what he's all about. And we just can't compete. We try to compete, we want to compete, but the truth of the matter is we can't compete. We can't compete with your vacations. We can't compete with your money. We can't compete with football. We want to, we'd like to, but the truth of the matter is the world is way better at entertaining than we are. But there is one thing that we got the world doesn't have. We may not be able to entertain you. You may like the Bama game or the Panthers game. It may thrill you and excite you. But our Savior, our King, is more than entertaining. He's amazing. He does what none of that stuff can do. He changes life. You see, his gospel reaches beyond the flesh and reaches into the depths of the soul and the spirit. His gospel, his life, his death, what he does in people's lives doesn't just last for a moment. It lasts for an eternity. It doesn't just extend into retirement. It lasts forever and ever and ever. And whenever's up, it keeps going to the next forever and ever and ever. And when that's up, it keeps on going further to the next ever and ever and ever. He is amazing. Listen, that's what people need. They don't just need entertainment. They need the amazement, the true satisfaction that they see when the power of the gospel changes a life. Do people walk away from you amazed? Do people walk away from us when 11.30 rolls around, are they amazed? See, changed lives are amazing lives. The gospel changes a person. The power of Jesus changes us. And that change, that power, that gospel is amazing. There is nothing like it. And ultimately, that's what people are looking for. That's what people need. That's what Jesus offers. And because that's what Jesus offers, that's what we must offer. You see, people need, friends, they need change. They need amazement. Jesus gave it to people, and he has left us here to do that, be that, and give that as well.